Welcome to Compassion in a T-Shirt. I'm Dr. Stan Steindl. Today, I'll be talking to Shannon Swales, who describes herself as a perfectly imperfect clinical psychologist. She's passionate about supporting others with the mental health knowledge and skills to really thrive in life, to move from stressed out, burnt out states to ones of wellness. Shannon has had her own burnout experience. And in 2021, she stopped work to go through a process of recovery. She now very generously shares her own experiences and all that she learned to help others on the road to recovery. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And so I bring you Shannon Swales. That's your thing. But so well, just tell us, first of all, about that, you know, like, what is it? What is your passion, you know, at the moment, or your passion in, in your work or, or life? Yeah, uh, well, I suppose if yeah, my passion really in work and in life, because it sort of crosses over both, is finding a, a living my life in a way and helping others living a life in a way that's sustainable, but not just sustainable, but allows them to thrive in in whatever whatever areas they're wanting to thrive in, you know, family, uh, individual, like uh, study, uh, work, whatever it might be, health. Uh, but yeah, I, I like the word sustainability, but I like the thriving because so, sustainability mm. sort of seems like, okay, we're able to sustain like a status quo, like whether that be our health, our work, finding a balance, but I feel like, yeah, thriving from there, growing from there. So, um, it's my passion for myself to, to, um, work towards that or, uh, or keeping that and at the same mm. time, helping others do that as well. Uh, because mm. I find a lot of us, are. You, you know certainly um you know living under sort of chronic loads of stress and and mm. that our life isn't something or the way we're living life is not sustainable and and for some people it's not something that's giving them meaning or purpose or feeling like they're uh yeah growing or contributing sometimes it's contributing back to their community yeah so that's my passion I'd say yeah well, one of the things that it prompted me right at the beginning of what you were saying there is I sort of said, you know, sort of work and life and, mm. and you sort of made the point it, it, it sort of they're, they're one thing really in a way. I mean, it, it's sort of interesting to think of, mm. we sometimes talk about work life balance, but um, mm. as if they're separate almost or something. I mean, but, but I don't know, what, what are your thoughts there? What, what are your comments about that? Well, the thing that springs to mind, and this is a—I don't know if it's a controversy in the literature around burnout, but it certainly seems to be yeah. talked about amongst people who are in the burnout area. That burnout is a occupational syndrome. Predominantly, it's it's triggered by workplace. But then, when you're working in the grassroots with the people who are going through it, and even myself, when I went through it, it's not just work life, and sometimes it's not even the work life that is triggering this mm. chronic stress load, it's actually the stuff outside of work, life, but, you know, mm. it, I mean, life <laughs> encompasses work. That's one aspect of it. But it's yeah. these other loads that we might be taking, you know, our, our you know, raising children, um, mm. maybe caring for our elderly parents or for our children with, uh, you know, they might have, you know, have chronic illnesses or whatever it might be that we've got these uh, 
other loads, you know, outside of work. And, and I find like a people I see or talk to, you know, people I see in terms of clients or, or people I talk to, they get confused. It's like, well, is this burnout if it's not happening at work? And I'm like, look, <laughs> whatever, it, it's chronic stress. Burnout is a chronic stress syndrome. Uh, and there's a lot of ways in which we capture that. But burnout is one of the, the labels, I suppose. But yeah, so I just, I kind of eradicate that whole work-life balance thing. It's just life. And yeah. am I living it in a way that's sustainable at the moment or is it actually where I can grow and, and, and thrive? Um, that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that, that's the other thing you said, which I really appreciate as well. And, and in some of my work around compassion, uh, well, Paul Gilbert, who, who, you, who you know and, and yeah. um, know of and, and I sort of love, um, he would say really that, yes, compassion is about alleviating and preventing suffering, but also mm. about flourishing. You know, we, we want to be able mm. to thrive or flourish and, and mm. get real meaning and purpose out of out of our life. Oh, and, and there's a whole whole range of areas to do that, isn't there? It, mm. it might be at work, um, mm. but it might be at home or the community yeah. or, or yeah. other things that we're doing. And, and oddly... Well, that's interesting, isn't it? In some ways, our meaning can come from all sorts of places, but you know, therefore, it we we can become depleted too. There can we in in all of those different places, and so burnout is a is a kind of a, a, a sort of there's many potential mm. pathways to to burnout. Oh, certainly, and I think they're still discovering. They are still discovering and understanding that. You know, for some people, it can be that. Um, work is just not uh, actually it was something that I, I recently went to a uh, online uh, workshop uh, developed by uh, done by what his name Nicholas Petrie, who's for the last okay. few years he's devoted his work around understanding uh, burnout, particularly in leadership uh, roles. Uh, but he was talking about one of the pathways in that in his research that they've noticed into uh, burnout is that work hasn't allowed enough growth opportunity like uh, you know where where there's wanted or needed by the person that they're like they become stagnant so burnout can um, arise out of that which mm. I often thought about it and and knew about it initially from more of a workload uh, high workload mm. low resources uh, pathway in which is as well um and yeah it, it was just interesting that that's what he also found where there wasn't these growth opportunities and and support in in growing within the workplace within their industry or um, profession that can lead to as well I suppose that's that meaninglessness or that disconnection um from their work as as well um mm. yeah, yeah so, people it, it might be Sort of feeling overworked or it might be feeling underworked that both exactly. of those can lead to, yeah. to stress so mm -hmm. you're a you're a clinical psychologist you're mm. a therapist you're also many other things but <laughs> I thought it would be really interesting to hear a bit about your maybe your journey into being a therapist I, I, I really appreciate later if Ooh. we also talk about kind of what happened next and all that you mm. kind of experienced there but yeah what's yeah. what was your journey in yeah <laughs> so um well I've done a lot of reflection around that in the last couple of years but um so it's taking a bit of a different story but essentially I uh I was in my early 20s and I was working as a, a 
a shift supervisor at a, a very well-renowned still coffee place. Um, and I didn't drink coffee at the time. I do now. Um, but okay. anyway, I had this regular customer and her husband who come in and lovely, lovely couple. They're probably in their 50s. And she was talking about studying psychology. And I was like, okay. And we'd have these conversations about what she was learning. And it was just really intrigued me and I was interested. And, and I don't know what point that I decided that, okay, this would be interesting to go go forth and study because I was quite a, I was anxious about studying. I didn't think that I was someone who was capable of studying at a university level. I had a lot of doubts around that. Uh, mm. But I, I, it really came down to I had nothing better to do. <laughs> I, I wasn't really, the hospitality industry was certainly getting me down. It wasn't an area that I wanted to stay in and, I just was really intrigued and and I, I remember thinking that I just wanted to understand humans better. I didn't really get them. <laughs> I didn't really get people. Right. So I was like, okay, this will be really helpful. So, um, I, you know, I put in my application and got into um, undergrad. It was a Bachelor of Science major in psych, um, distance ed as well. So I was doing it from um, home um, up in Cairns. And, yeah, yeah, I just, it, it really, and, and I just, I did really well, like I, I was getting good marks, but I was also enjoying it. I was really enjoying learning and, and learning and, and really starting to understand um, humans, but also understand myself, which I didn't realise that that's really why. I, later on, I think much later on, I realised there was, I think, a, I think my intuitive self that I wasn't listening to back then, she knew I needed that. She knew I needed to actually go there to learn about myself not other, and other people. But yeah, so that's that was my journey into psych. And I just kept going because I was enjoying it. I was enjoying learning. Um, so I just kept following the pathway. But I have come to realize that at some point I, I didn't I didn't stop to actually listen exactly where I wanted to take psych. And I kind of ended up on the what I now know is I ended up on the bandwagon of becoming a clinical psych and doing um, individual therapy but it wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. But I've only just learned that in the last few years. Um, mm. Yeah, so it just followed followed that pathway and it sort of seemed to be that's where everybody was going into the clinical psych. And um, and I did want to do one-on-one -on -one work. I did want to um, provide therapy and that's something I still want and I am doing and still um, want to do. But, yeah, it was just I suppose if I stopped and listened for a little bit, I probably would have going in different directions back then within the psychology, within the mental health field, but different directions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah. I mean, it does sound like, you know, curiosity is, is in your bones almost mm. or something, you know, like when mm. you were even at the coffee shop, you were you're sort of interested and curious and talking to people and, yeah. um, and just sort of stumbled across this, this kind of character, I guess, in, in mm. your life story who mm. you know, made a, a sort of a, a bit of an mm. impact. Yeah, um, yeah, she's so cool. Yeah, I've forgotten her name, which I always feel like she's such an integral part. And I've, I visually can see her and her husband, even their orders. I think I remember. <laughs> remember their, yeah, strange how you still remember that 20, 20 years on. Yeah, so mm, mm, mm. yeah. And, and and may I, I mention we we first sort of um, kind of crossed paths and, and mm -hmm. connected uh i'm not sure how many years ago this was too but uh you were working a kid at uh quickline mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. 
I was doing sort of occasional MI training and at mm. certain points you were helping to manage all of that as well. And yeah, yeah. I mean, how many years ago but is that now? I started Quitline in 2008, which was the first year mm. of my postgraduate training as well in clinical psych. Uh, mm. So I started Quitline at the same time and that was when, yeah, in the introductory uh, training, yeah, there was yes. two days MI and that's when I first met you. And, and yes. yes, so many other training. And then I became the team leader, tra- like uh, organising the training of the, mm. the newbies, the new counsellors. And yeah, yeah. Um, so organising yeah. with you. Um, so yeah, and that was 2008 to 2013 I worked there. Yeah. Um, that's and a then, long time ago. Yeah. I know. Actually. And then I... <laughs> Then I worked there in 2016 to 17 as well, oh, um, just briefly okay. too. But yeah. yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, 15 years ago that mm. you you started there. Yeah. Um, so so and well, I mean that's kind of it puts things into perspective because you 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 worked in the in and around the area for yeah you know, many years. I, mm. I know though that um, a big part of it was. Just a few years ago, I think sort of 2021 or thereabout, mm, you, you mm. sort of, yeah, I, and I, I know that you're um, sort of okay to, to share with us a little bit. What yeah. happened sort of next there? You, you really kind yeah. of took a bit of a hit and, and things sort of changed. So what, what, tell us about that part yeah. of the story. Yeah. Um, so the date, I always remember 25th February 2021, uh, which was really just the day in which it all hit it was really a slow burn as we know burnout is um and it wasn't just burnout it was certainly um compassion fatigue that often especially with helping professionals often burnout and compassion fatigue go together but also vicarious trauma and I I was working with um Dr Hayley Quinn actually who in compassion focus therapy uh, but she was my supervisor at the time so we've been working together for about I think her as my supervisor for about a year and it was through her her work with me and I, I connected with her because I wanted to learn uh, and integrate compassion focus therapy into my work. Uh, and so that's why I was seeking supervision from her and through supervision really starting to recognise the depths of what was happening for me and, and how it was coming out in my work. And uh, with her compassion, she was seriously my first compassionate other that um, really, yeah, <laughs> really guided me towards recognising what I was experiencing and starting to make some changes while I was still working. So, you know, so I was recognising prior to February 21 that I wasn't okay and needed to make some changes to my life and my work, so <laughs> everything to help sustainability. And and at the time we are just looking at sustainability really uh, and it just got way too, by February 21, it, it it just, it was too little too late in a way. And I just literally couldn't go to work. And so things stopped from that day in terms of seeing clients. I was working in and had been working in private practice from 2013 full time. Um, and mm. yeah, so it was just, it was horrible. I even, I mean, even though I've worked through and processed the shame and the guilt that I felt was such an abrupt, abrupt exit, um, it's still, you know, it's it still pains me because it's not ideal, obviously, um, for clients and for the business. Um, and you know, there's there's so many ramifications of that. Um, but yeah, it it and I think by then I actually realized 
I think I, I realized it was burnout. I even thought it might be a bit of depression. And, um, and I started working with a psychologist um, from there. And yeah, um, it was just complete utter exhaustion. And probably the other thing was I just didn't have the compassion left in me to give. Like I had been using every ounce that I had, like my family would say I wasn't a nice person to be around. I wasn't horrible either, but there was no compassion at home because all that I had, I give to the clients because, well, it's necessary. And then I just, I just had nothing. It was like the tanks just absolutely were empty and I couldn't, couldn't bring myself to be in front of a a client. Yeah. It was, Mm. yeah, horrible, Mm. awful horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's it, it, kind of helpful to to hear you describe it because the there, there are sometimes kind of those red flags or something the the mm. little earlier warning signs you, you'd kind of notice things and you were sort of yeah. you know trying to wisely work with that and, mm. and through mm. supervision and and so mm. on yeah uh, and yet on the other hand it was it was hard to do so it was hard to. Yeah. really I don't know kind of turn the tide a little bit on that I guess I think because and I see this a lot in the clients I work with now and just conversations I have with people who've been through it or going through it and they um once you start to recognize that okay I need to make some changes already you don't have a lot left in the tank to actually do those changes because change still takes energy uh, okay. and, and changes are required. Like even shifting down the number of clients I saw a day, well, you know, you're managing the that with the clients and that takes energy and managing that. I worked in a group practice, so managing that with the director and she was my other compassionate other. Um, so I, I was lucky to be met with um, really, yeah, beautiful women um, who, you know, just hold that spa- held that space for me and did not judge and, and whatever you need, Shan, we're, you know, we're here and, and considering, especially my um, the director I worked in her practice, um, Dr. Ilsa Grobler, like it was her bit. Like I was a full time psych; it was her income, you know. Like, mm. and and so for her to be willing to make any changes that were needed, um, and be met with that. But yeah, all of that requires a lot of energy, and because I was dealing with a pretty harsh critic as well, like just something I've always had, well, since quite a young age. Um, it you know and it was ramped up at that time it, it sort of came back with a vengeance so it's just a lot of energy that you just don't have or, or have very little of so that's what I mean by too little too late uh in a lot of ways once I started making change or started to recognize and started to make changes the, the sort of the compassion definition you know sort of alleviate and prevent suffering I suppose mm. once you're there and you're feeling burnt out and you do things to try to alleviate some of that um some some of it probably oh. uh, you know is helpful but but also yeah you're just sort of a bit out of gas already and, yeah. and so I mm. suppose prevention uh becomes an important part of of, of things going forward but I was wondering mm. about the role of the the critic um, oh the critic and, yeah <laughs> and also um and, and sort of you know shame and mm clinician shame you know like I've been thinking a lot about that too just this thing about how clinicians can sometimes feel like you know I'm not doing enough I'm not good enough um the person in the you know room next door is much better than me and Mm. and and just the the way that some of that self-criticism and or shame 
makes it hard too to to sort of recover or to to deal with the burnout even once we have seen it approaching yeah. so yeah what are your thoughts about self-criticism mm. and shame there yeah well um uh, well I just shame is such a debilitating um emotion in terms of uh, like it just makes you stand still <laughs> like when you get yeah. stuck in it I mean like when you stay yeah. stuck in it uh it just, yeah, it does make you move. And I, I just remember as a pre-burnout, um, my critic would, like when I, you know, so certainly fused with her and she was like leading the way, she would lead me to like isolation because, yeah, I would compare mm. myself with other psychs in that I wasn't good enough. I'd even compare myself to this, what I've come to know, this ideal clinical psych and what she should look like, <laughs> and then, you know, there's yeah. really like perfectionistic, you know, unrelenting standards, uh, you know, high expectations, knows everything. <laughs> like, and this is the ideal clinical psych. So, yes, I, I you know, the critic was like, because I wasn't living up to that. And of course I couldn't live up to that. Like, so it was, I mean, it was. It's I, all I like, don't think, I don't think I've ever met that person. <laughs> no, no, they don't exist. They don't exist. No. I mean, and, you know, I knew this up here, you know, intellect, I, mm. I did, but. I didn't, I, it wasn't, it wasn't in here. Like I didn't truly, well, I didn't truly understand the, the critic, you know, I mean, during the work around the critic and the compassionate work towards the, the critic, I've, I've come to understand her and, and what that's all about and be able to feel compassion for her. But I hadn't done that work, you know. Um, mm. And yeah, so the critic was just really a huge part of my my burnout and my compassion fatigue and really just isolated me because I didn't think I was good enough I didn't seek that guidance and that support or um I mean I did but just the bare minimum and, and not what I really needed or what I needed to grow as a clinician too from that really early stage that now I do well I, I do a lot <laughs> still work in that um but I'm more willing to reach out and 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 learn off other clinicians learn off anyone doesn't matter what their title is but to to grow and to learn and be okay with yeah being mm. that way so yeah shame and and I think in the early stages of recovery as well um because I had so much shame around how things um you know because I here I even say that because I let it go well it got so bad that I had to to leave and there was that abrupt transition or you know for the clients and whilst my team you know certainly helped with that that I couldn't be that person and and letting down other people that was such a huge trigger and what I did to work through that shame was turn it more into that guilt you know like or, or recognize okay what were the behaviors there I can't change what happened but what could I do differently now um and work on so I it's that doesn't happen again you know um mm -hmm. like and also recognizing that there's a lot of things I didn't know and I'm learning now that got me to that place that if I had known and had worked through I wouldn't have gotten there you know what I mean like it's just mm -hmm. some yeah. forgiveness some forgiveness and and compassion towards myself um pre-burnout you know or burnout Shannon or whatever you want to call that um, so there was a lot of working through shame in that beginning as well of, of really, um, I, I always call that the uh, beginning of my recovery was that February, March, because I just actually had the time to really address the issues. <laughs> yes, you, you, you sort of described nicely that, you know, the way that the critic latches on to that gap 
doesn't it, between the ideal sort of mm. self, or in this case, the ideal kind of therapist and so yeah. on, mm. versus kind of the actual sort of who we are, or even mm. versus a kind of a, an imagined sort of feared self. You know, sometimes we mm. become really critical, not just because we're not mm. quite meeting the, the ideal, but because we think we're actually even much worse than we are. And, and so the, the critic jumps onto that and, mm. and, um, mm. and out of that, you know, kind of comes those, that, that shameful feeling. And yeah, it does. It, mm. it makes us stuck and mm. it makes us isolated and it makes us mm. very uh, sort of, I guess, reluctant or even unable to seek some of the support that would mm. actually be really helpful. We know mm. all of that but we still don't quite feel it you know that sort of head heart lag that can happen there and, mm. and that sounds like was really some of the work especially mm. after you know by the february march you had some headspace then to mm. well, once, that. So, yeah. yeah i was gonna say once i got because there was still a lot of report writing and helping in the background to help with the transition of clients mm. um but yeah, like, you know, certainly there was still some room because I didn't have that one-on-one um, work to do that. Yeah, mm. I could start to, I really, and that's where a lot of people find themselves in the space that they actually need that space to work on those things. It's so much harder when you're still in the thick of work. It's still, it, it, you know, it's it's possible, but something's mm. got to give, you know, I think um, mm. we need space to process. Mm. so what did you do then to work through sort of all of that you know and and towards you mentioned that was kind of like the beginning really of the recovery Mm. and Mm. yeah towards your further recovery from there yeah well there were so many things I did make like I made this promise um that and this was something to help with that shame too and I was switching it more to guilt and okay I don't want this to happen again and so I made the promise for a year not to go back to counseling work or any therapy work uh even though I felt pulled to do because financially you know, it was like and this mm. is what I'm trained to do and can you know certainly um help pay the bills and all that kind of stuff but I knew well I, I'm not in a I'm not in a safe enough place and 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 therefore I, I'm not safe enough for the clients either to you know I basically I said look giving yourself a year <laughs> to to um I mean not not saying I have to be okay by the end of the year but just no clinical work no therapy work for a year um go off and do other work but not this work and and it became a year about focusing on um learning learning or not just learning but integrating compassion for self you know how to look after myself and really listen to the suffering and really lean into that and and alleviate that suffering and learning what all that is and so that was the theme I suppose of that year but I also discovered quite early on and it was with my work with um, the psychologist I saw and she was clinical and counseling psychologist and my other compassionate other um, Carla Johnston she I recognized quite with her that I wasn't actually good at allowing others being compassionate towards me that I um it was quite a body kind of rejection or resistance to that so my work became also about letting that in uh and also seeking it to um and not just letting it in in my relationships and and just you know also um yeah like in I suppose professional roles too and and um with like the therapist and uh yeah it so I suppose 
that was an overall theme. There was lots of things that I did, but that was an overall theme. Um, mm. Yeah. And one of them yeah. was actually, as I've um, shared with you, your book, um, Gifts, oh, yes. the, the Gifts of Compassion, which I have here. Ah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of them. Um, oh, I'm Because yes. I actually purchased it just before, uh, like, I'm not sure when it came out. When did it? When did it come out? <laughs> it was. It would have been around I think that time. It was time. 2020. Yeah, end yeah. of 2020, maybe. Yes. Mm. Mm. So I purchased it, but I hadn't read it yeah. yet. So I was still working all that, um, and yeah. I had purchased it to help again. Just you know, um, you know, certainly helping in practice with my clients by exploring uh, it with myself. But then it became a therapeutic tool for me to really, because yes. I realized, okay, I need to work mm. on this. I really. I knew about self-compassion. I knew about compassion and I was doing stuff for myself, but I really feel like it was Band-Aid stuff at the time because I wasn't really going to the depths of my emotions and I wasn't really leaning in that really, really listening, really hearing, really tending to those needs. Um, Mm. Yeah, so Mm. the gifts of compassion certainly helped me work through a lot of things um, as well Mm. as my therapist. My therapist, it was a lot of, um, we did, we worked a lot more on the vicarious trauma and um, she was an EM, is an EMDR therapist. So I did that work with her mostly. Um, mm. Yeah. And just a lot of resting, a lot of exposure to resting and allowing that because I wasn't very good at like, it's okay to rest. It's all right to not uh, work and, and it's okay to have nothing planned on your day um and just simply do what is needed on that day or or, you know it might be well I always walk my dogs but that and and having coffee after gym with friends and and that was it and that it's okay um Mm. to do that yeah so there's a lot of resting it's those those dastardly fears of compassion isn't it (laughs) that we're mm. working with there, you know, the, mm. the sort of we, we fears, blocks and resistances, we, we worry mm. about that and we, we mm. find it hard to rest, for example, you know, for whatever reason, we feel like we shouldn't yeah. or whatever and, and sometimes the critic gets in on board with all of that but sometimes it's just, you know, sort of kind of a part of who we are, how we were brought up, you know, Western yeah. culture, various bits and pieces that yeah, for whatever reason for me that these fears. Yeah, I I was certainly like I did have that thought that this is lazy, but I think the the biggest fears and blocks for me with compassion was when it was compassion from other people. I was starting to no, um, notice that like undeserving, like I don't know if that's yeah undeserving, um, yeah. especially with it always came down to how things you know ended as well with my work too. That I'm not deserving yeah. of this compassion. Uh, so noticing that fear, um, noticing that resistance and working with that was really helpful because, yeah, that was certainly the more powerful one that was getting in the way for me really allowing that compassion in. That was, you know, you know, certainly around. I just, yeah, <laughs> like mm. pushing it back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like you really, you know, kind of went to first principles, you know, rest, exercise mm. you know mm. um support and and uh connection with others yeah you know, those sort of really key aspects which mm. had kind of i guess been lost or or you know there wasn't enough time or you know you were sort of hiding a little bit from it yeah definitely lost particularly the other thing i i came to realize and i realized this before i before february 21 
which was my connections were really suffering and and not only were they suffering I hadn't really established a really good community around me uh like just how I was doing relationships particularly friendships and so a lot of that year was also around yeah doing an overhaul of how I do relationships particularly friendships uh and so yeah worked a lot in that area because yeah you know I my other compassionate other in his own beautiful way is my husband Ryan (laughs) he was certainly and still is you know there for me and you know that many countless hours of me sobbing and things like that and his presence you know um that was yeah like really yeah he was the rock um during that time but that it was more these other you know my other relationships that I I was the person who was the compassionate I was the one giving out and it was no one's fault but my own that's how I did relationships that how is how I did friendships and and I was wondering why I was always resentful and annoyed (laughs) well yeah so there's a lot of work in that area as well connection because that was suffering and like you said that's a primary well-being thing is is having your connections and and um solid relationships around you and I didn't have that in my friendship group um I feel like I've got that now it's it's growing it's yeah still yeah so that was a big one well so so tell us a bit about your work now because one Mm. of the other things that I feel I've noticed for you is that that this has now also become a, a part of the meaningful work that you're doing that that you are helping yourself and mm. others and and sort of you know trying to keep balance in, in all of that <laughs> and so on but but yeah, yeah what what tell us about yeah. your work now well one of the things that I kind of just have to rewind a little bit like oh. when I left oh, no when I left I just didn't know if clinical psychology or psychology was the area that I was meant to be in or or felt I needed to be in or whatever it was I was just really confused that question was really bouncing around prior to that when everything um you know came to a head but even afterwards and and I benched that question for a very long time because I just needed to focus on healing and and you know one of the things I learned through psychology is don't make any big decisions (laughs) while you're you're not okay so if possible so I um left that one um but started to revisit it in um well, I went back to work. I actually started working in July 21, but that was as a um, lecturer teaching um, counsellors in bachelor and masters um, of counselling. And that was interesting work. And um, so I was dabbling back into the work, but just not the one-on-one therapy. And um, it was, yeah, I think it was until like a October 22, no, actually July 22, that I really started entertaining that question again, you know, do I want to actually go back to psychology work? And what I actually realized through some work around, well, obviously being a lot more compassionate towards myself and listening and hearing and, and really believing that I deserve a life that is, you know, thriving. And, and I, I just, yeah, what do I want in my work life? And I actually drew it back and just said work life and um, four values uh, slowly started to appear. And mm. um, yeah, being acceptance commitment therapy therapist I um drew on values and they're actually on my board behind me um but one of them was community and compassion is another wisdom and authenticity and I don't know 
what else came up but I knew I actually knew that okay now I do want to work in the mental health field because there is a lot of knowledge and skills and experience that I've gained that I'd like to share and still learn and and develop and grow so I was like okay I can still wisdom will certainly be be part of that journey back in the mental health industry but also community building connections like I realized through my own experience now but also in my practice as a psychologist all throughout how important community is and connection that I see those who really thrive and and get through are people who do have strong connections so community was a big one is a big one for me Um, and I feel in the mental health industry there's room for that and that's why I do group work and trying to get out there in the community and doing work there and um, authenticity. That's why I share my story um, and, and just and, and learning that it's okay to be me, whatever psychologist Shannon is, she's a human and being authentic and, and hopefully empowering others to do the same um, just through my own authenticity and what was the other? and compassion, of course. Um, and so I just felt like with across like, the three flows, across the three flows, and yeah, that too because yeah, I knew my flows were totally out like through your book and and you know Paul Gilbert's work and um, you know certainly and Haley certainly realizing my yeah. my flows were particularly when I realized the compassion towards myself, uh, sorry, um, t- from others towards me. Mm. And and I was like, whoa! I just didn't realize I knew about compassion and you know working in it. And I'm like, oh, I'm totally out. But yeah, the three flows definitely. Um, so I just realized that, and 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 just knowing, I think one of the things I didn't realize as a, a trainee psychologist is that you there's so much opportunity that you know the mental health industry is quite wide and varied and there's so many avenues you can go in and and teaching for a while really allowed that too because I met so many people that came from all walks of um, like some uh, clinical psych herself who came into teaching to get a bit of a break from it but a break from um, working in the one-on-one but also to diversify and explore different avenues and I think that because I used to have a very narrow view of what because of that ideal self or the, you know, um, clinician that I didn't, I can can build a work life. I can build a life within the mental health field that is aligned with those values. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's what, and, and I'm just at the moment, I'm not sure if it will be the area that I stay in, but burnout is, is an area of interest and exploration. So I'm staying there, but it, it may move and vary. and, And I'm just keeping a very open, open view and just leading with I, I suppose whatever I feel of interest or passionate towards yeah and that I can give mm. back in as well that I can give in mm. yeah yeah there's a lot of thought and consideration and there's sort of it, things change and and mm. those you've sort of embraced all of that I, I just to um you didn't actually mention that during the your year first year of recovery you you did a lot of creative stuff as well you you wrote Oh, your yes. blog which um, the, yes. the gap here and yeah. uh, you know beautifully written and and kind of uh you know, sort of expressing some of the vulnerability but also you know kind of you sort of were able to share these these little aspects or big aspects of the journey and insights mm. and so on along the way and so that was yeah. in, an important Oopsie. part yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a huge part that's a huge part of learning because I actually made the choice um, pretty soon after burning out there in Feb that mm. I was going to keep a journal yeah. and because I felt like I was so out of touch with myself because was I just, I, 
how in touch can you be when you're so busy and you're so caught up in that threat mode and drive mm. mode, which I was, you know, certainly in in those cycles and you no know, very little tapping into the soothing mode. Um, and uh, so the journal was a way to really observe myself. And the burnout literature, interesting enough, says, yeah, self-observation is certainly part of the the picture in terms of recovery. And I think that goes to say in anything really. But mm. um, yeah, so I journaled um, and, and then uh, I decided at some point that I wanted to share that. And so I developed a website and put my journal up there as a blog and uh, mm. for anyone to, and it felt like a way I can help people without being one-on-one and um, I can give back in that way. Um, and and now know too that was me trying to connect and because to it, it's nice to get compassion of course from other people but other people who are going through it and, and living it and understand it to that real depth um because they're walking in those shoes it's like mm. I feel that kind of support is is so important and so yeah so I put that out there and then I think it was July 21 no I know it was July 21 I put the first episode out of um my podcast, which um, was called something different back then, but it's called When Burnout Becomes Reality, which I think is is quite um, a good title there for, yes. for my experience. Um, yeah, and, and they're, they're all about, yeah, expression and sharing my story, but also the podcast was about others then expressing and sharing their stories and, and learning and and connecting through each other's stories, which, which I really love. Um, and so yeah that was and I love being creative that that should be actually one of my values <laughs> um because creativity is a huge part that a huge part of me and that was certainly squished and squashed or whatever you, um prior to burning out and never it, it it got it got tapped into here and there with creating group programs in in um various uh all the last um a uh, practice that I worked at, I got to develop actually a self-compassionate program mm. um, that we rolled out once, but then bloody, um, COVID hit. COVID. Uh, yeah, COVID. Um, so that got squashed, but that was an outlet of, because um, I got to be involved in creating that and and, um, and developing the mindfulness program that we had out there as well. And and I loved that. And group was that connection, community and 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 authenticity because you got you know, people sharing their stories and, uh, yeah, Anyway, so yeah, I got to do that through my journal, my blog and um, the podcast and I still get to do that because now the journal is a book. Um, well, it's not published yet, but I've I've turned it into a book. So um, hopefully it'll be out, out in the end of the year. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Now, I remember mm. following along that. Oh, oh, am I allowed to reminisce the original name or is that not? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love the original. That took a yeah, lot to let go of. Especially for the for the blog, you know, or the, or the journal, um, yeah. burn out a different kind of gap year was yeah. what you called it, and mm. and uh, I mean, yeah, that's a, it, that title itself is is just very moving, and and mm. um, yeah. and so uh, so that was you know really precious, and I I um, that's great to hear that it's coming together into a book, and then yeah, the podcast as well. I mean, you've interviewed really people from all lots of walks of life too I think you know it's yeah. not just even uh I don't think you're only interviewing mental health related people yeah. but people in you know for example like you said early on mothers who, uh, yeah. who you know kind of 
have experienced sort of the burnout related there and, and that sort of thing. So you are you're sort of remaining prolific, but certainly, um, you know, with one eye on the self by the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, one question I was going to ask you out of that, I mean, what do you believe really maybe needs to change in the world of psychotherapy or the world mm. of of um clinical psychology you know and maybe like how it's done or something i mean mm. if you were to sort of think big like that i mean mm. do, do you have any thoughts there i've had discussions with a couple of people so a couple of um uh, ideas are, and, and bouncing off theirs as well like uh one of the things i think in the clinical psychology that having conversations around the different avenues like how work could look like as a clinical site because it sounds like just in the conversations I'm having is that there's quite a narrow okay you go into private practice and you're working one-on-one but that maybe I suppose career um I don't know conversations around what your career may look like but what your career may look like that's actually conducive to your well-being because six clients a day, four days a week for me, and, and sometimes you've got to live it till you actually know as well. Like I realise there's a bit of um, trial and error, hit and miss, you know. But I don't know, like, and I don't know if this is something that needs to happen in undergrad or needs to happen in the postgrad, uh, but conversations around well-being and career, like, and, 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 and not just conversations, but even maybe programs that, outside of supervision, outside of university that are focused on, um, yeah, on, on that well-being and, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't have all the answers, but I think some sort of focus somewhere, because it wasn't until really with Dr. Haley D. Quinn that I was the way in which she works, you know, that the focus was on my well-being and how that uh, so, you know, that that compassion focus every from the inside out kind of thing, you know. So mm. in mm. order to learn and apply it, it was she was applying it to me. And it was through that that I got to really understanding how the work was affecting me and why it was affecting me too. Like there was things I didn't understand about myself, about my personality, about how I thrive. And so I just feel like that really needs to come, yeah, as a preventative measure sometime in you know, post-grad or 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 to, you know, capture those who go on in those other um, avenues as well uh, into psychology, you know, yeah, some sort of wellbeing program, but I don't, yeah, I don't have all those answers yet. Mm. Um, it's, it, yeah, I think that's a good way to think about it. It just needs to be an earlier part of the conversation. Yeah. Really. It's, it's very difficult. Mm. It, yeah, it's really difficult to, I, I, do, I do feel like there's a lot in what you said too about, you know, it's difficult to really get it till you live it type thing as well. Yeah. It's sort of hard for people <clears throat> who are just, you know, yeah. conceptualising this idea of a career yeah. as a therapist. And, yeah. But nevertheless, and I, it should yeah. perhaps be in the conversation. Yeah. And actually, because I was working, um, when I was working as a lecturer, I was part of a peer supervision group um, of a couple of lecturers at a university and um, who teach in the postgrad and they said um, certainly they're doing a lot more work in those initial phases of the postgraduate program around the importance of well-being around self-care much more than when I went through 
so there's improvement happening and and an awareness that this needs to happen but yeah it, it, uh, and they also recognize that more is needed um and that being part of the conversation i think yeah just part of the conversation as well and and i don't want to lug another i'm aware that as super i'm not a trained supervisor but i'd imagine there's so much that you have to focus on that the, i don't want to lug that as another thing on that relationship mm. uh and I know we were, I know in my training, I was recommended to go, you know, seek therapy, you know, and, um, in that avenue, which was great advice. And I certainly did that, but mm. I almost feel like there's just something else. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. And it's something that I'm thinking about too, because I, I love doing groups and, and I love, um, working with, and I, I want to do something in that student space, you know, in that, um, trainee space and the provisional psych space to help support that i just yeah haven't mm. come up with that yet <laughs> um something yeah. for for the yes for in, in and around the, the the training and supervision yeah the, the early career mm. psychs and and then gradually mm. you know sort of uh across one's career i suppose yeah. it, it, it yeah. sort of it's it's part of the conversation early but then stays on the agenda throughout I yeah. suppose it, it really needs to be a one of the pillars I suppose it yeah. needs to be of, of what it is to be a therapist is definitely self-care mm. oh definitely and yeah definitely so, mm. yeah I would I like that one of the pillars and not just mm. at that early career we want to but yeah mm. a, an agenda item that is continual because it's going to be continual for me like I mm. you know mm. I lose sight of it <laughs> certainly yeah so well thinking of um maybe early career people I suppose mm. was the group that I had in mind for this question um mm. and not wanting to put you on the spot but what might be the top three tips really then would you say like one of the things that i've noticed in, in when i send you an email mm -hmm. i get a i get a little email back that says i i go and look at my emails between these out you know, like you oh, give yeah. you give direct yeah. feedback to the mm -hmm. person which mm -hmm. then creates mm -hmm. a kind of a nice boundary mm -hmm. for you mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you have to kind of you know, mm. um, organize yourself around those mm. a lot of times, but it, it's also good for the receiver because they know mm. that, you know, yeah. they might not hear back to you. So I, yeah. I really thought even little mm. things like that. But yeah, so um, definitely three three tips. Yeah, three tips. Oh, you are putting me on spot. But I did think um, I was, I actually thought about the two things that came up for me, and they're more like themes, but in okay. like investing in you. Um, I know that sounds, um, it's so, wide and buried um and can lead to so many things but it's it's that whole mask on you first you know um because if you don't you know you can end up affecting those around you and and we have an ethical but a moral obligation and i know we don't get into this field without a want and desire to help and support people so we can't do that without supporting ourselves so invest in in you and it can be things like the boundary setting you know around um yeah like the times that you work you know and having a clear you know start and finish uh it can be yeah when you're answering emails like I'm working towards I haven't got this yet but that I only look at emails at a certain time of day in the morning and then the afternoon at the moment yeah. I kind of look at them all throughout the day which does not work for me emotionally and mentally I noticed that so 
you know, putting boundaries around those things as well. But I think boundaries happen when you have that overall want and desire to invest in you. And I think that's, well, I know that's where compassion comes from too, you know, in that work around there to actually put yourself first and or put your needs up there, invest in you, um, whatever that may look like. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, my other tip or my other overall theme is invest in, in community like build your community, uh, I didn't, um, I didn't invest in that. And that leaves you vulnerable. Um, we don't, we can't walk this earth on our own. It's, it's, um, I, I despise those messages you see up on the internet, like, you know, um, can't even think of one now, but they really glorify that doing it on your own. And I mean, good, like if sometimes we don't have that choice and we have to, had to pull ourselves up and, and do it on our own and, and yeah, but my wish for those people is that they do find their people, that they find people they can connect with that truly have their back, um, including themselves. And they they invest in those relationships. They invest in those people um, who invest in you and, and 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 build that community. It may be one person to start with. It may be, a, you know, a cycle. Um, but invest because uh, that's what really I, I, I shudder to think I would have gotten through it, but you know, without Ryan, you know, my partner, like that was a huge, you know, cause that was the only person I really truly let see. Yeah. That, that what I felt ashamed about, you know, first. Mm. And, um, and that was a springboard to do that with others, you know, with Haley, with my, you know, director Ilsa and, and with the psych eventually, and then with others. Yeah. Um, mm. so yeah. Okay. I don't yeah, know. No, yeah. That's... So that, I know they're not really tits, but they're like, they're no, no, that's, that's that's great investing in self and investing in community you know and sort of it's it's all about trying to you know sort of nurture the resource isn't it that that is us in a way and and because that if we're able to invest in those things then we can start investing in others you know work and clients so they're like your pillars to then when you then that compassion out that investment you're giving to others yeah you get that by investing in you, investing in your community, it, it that gives you that energy to do that work. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I hear it so often. There's a, a lovely psych I'm, you know, working with at the moment and and has a, a beautiful group of, of other psychs, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, there's a, you know, a beautiful protective factor there that, you know, that they have this community that they can fall back on and receive support as they do this work. Just mm-hmm. It just makes sense. It makes sense, mm. yeah. And we know, you know, connection is very important to well-being. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Chan. Well, thank you very much for coming mm. and talking to me on compassion in a t-shirt. <laughs> and uh, I suppose one last thing: uh, mm. where can people find you? You know, yeah. sort of, I guess online or or elsewhere. Yeah. yeah what a- yeah. Well, as you were talking about earlier, I had that title "Burnout: A Different Kind of Gap Year," which changed. Yeah. There's now yes. um, so, and it changed with the times. As I moved back, as you know, into my role as a psychologist, I changed the name to "Burnout Psychology Support." So the easiest okay. way to get in touch with me is jump on my website, which is www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com, and I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook with the same name, "Burnout Psychology Support." uh and the yeah the podcast can be found on my website but anywhere you listen to to your podcasts and I will just flag the name of the book which I only just recently Great. settled on Please. um it's called nothing left oh hang on, nothing left to give uh a a psychologist path back from burnout 
that's what it's called. Yeah, nothing Lovely. left to give. No, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Very nothing clever. left to give. Yeah, um, working on the cover at the moment or an artist is. Um, oh. So yeah, hoping to have that out in October. Uh, and yeah, I hope it's helpful um, to to others to hear my journey. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'll I'll put some of those links in the in the notes and so on but um well thank you and and thank you for all the work you're doing and, and the for sharing your your journey and um probably the, the the big one is just yeah kind of trying to keep raising the awareness for people so that, that yeah. they they invest in themselves and the, their community Definitely. so thank you thank you so much Sam for having me on um I've enjoyed it thank you very much thanks mm-hmm.